Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. Before we get started with your show today, we'd just like to give a shout out to the podcast affiliates slash sponsors. The first people that we have, um, super excited about this, Nature's Image Farms. I've been looking for a good meat farmer around, and then I had Greg on. And I just kept thinking about how, man, it would be nice if I could just buy some local meat. And I was like, why don't I just buy some meat from Greg? And at the same time, Greg, shortly shortly after me thinking that, sends me a text asking if he could be a affiliate, or if his farm could become affiliate with the podcast. And I said, absolutely, sir. So right now, if you want to get some, if you're in the Ohio area, you want to get some Kraft chicken, Kraft Thanksgiving turkey, or get on a list for hog. So he doesn't have any hog for sale now, but I'm sure he would take a list for the future. I don't know. I haven't said anything to him, so I'm sure I'll get a message from Greg saying if this is okay or not. But send it to him anyways. Greg needs to know if he has demand. And uh, right now, you can also get some forest-raised chicken. I just bought eight of them. Um, There's a funny photo that's on Facebook, and uh, I'll probably put it on the website as well, of me holding the taking the eight chicken challenge, and I could hold all eight frozen chickens in my arms. It's pretty fun and exciting. Um, Greg also, even if you're not in Columbus or even if you're not, um, in the Ohio area and, you know, let's say you want to get some comfrey, Greg actually does ship comfrey. So right now he has Bocking 4 and 14. So just go to, click on the link in the show notes or go to Nature's Image Farm on Facebook. Soon there'll be a website and you can just go to the website and place orders from there. Just make sure you let Greg know that you heard about this offer on the sample hour. Um, our additional affiliates, as you may have known, as you may have known, that makes a lot of sense. As you may know, first we have newfarmsupply.com. So go to newfarmsupply.com if you want to get trees, grafting tools, a bunch of cool permy stuff. Check out what Grant Schultz has. Changes regularly. Um, so go there. Use code word sample and save 20% on anything you buy. Um, and finally, we are an affiliate with ProfitableUrbanFarming.com. So if you click on the link in the show notes, you can actually save $100 on the course itself. Um, or there's also one for the payment plan, which is the way that I went. So everybody, I hope you enjoy this show. And uh, keep tuning in and share this podcast with all your friends. Thanks a lot, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. I am excited to have this guest on. I bugged him a while back to get him on, and I, I sent him quite a few messages, and he's a super busy guy, but thankfully, he reached out to me, and he was ready to do the podcast. You may know him. Um, he's a expert panelist on the Survival Podcast. Uh, he is the Bee Whisperer, and he's also a, a damn good mead maker and probably a... Uh, a crafter of many other talents as well, Mr. Michael Jordan, and not the basketball player Michael Jordan, but the beekeeper Michael Jordan. How you doing today, sir? Man, I'm doing good. Uh, I got done doing a bee removal this morning, helping out a young lady that had bees flying in her apartment, and 
I was able to get that done. And now I'm just actually sitting back when you said mead making, I'm, I'm enjoying my craft right now. <laughs> what kind of mead are you drinking? Uh, right now I'm drinking a summertime shanty that I've blended with some raspberries. So it's a little bit sweeter, but it's, it's got a pretty good kick to it. That's awesome. And, um, so how did you like, how did you kind of come about getting on the path? Cause I've, I've, I follow like, I, I mean, I've watched all your videos that you post on uh, Facebook and, uh, I lo- love listening to you and, um, when Jack has you on as like the expert counsel and you answer questions and, uh, I really, anybody that listens knows when I was making my own cider, I mean, like you're, you're a big reason why, like, how did you, so how did you kind of get on this path, Michael? Like, when did you, um, kind of get on the path? I've heard you refer back. I've heard Jack say on his podcast that you'll say that people might not like who, uh, who you used to be, but now like you're really, you know what I mean? And I've heard Rob Kaiser only say super nice things about you. So it's, it's, it's interesting to me because I, I feel the same way about myself and my past for my past life. So, uh, um, so yeah. So how did you kind of get about into permaculture, beekeeping and all this fun, this fun, cool stuff that you do regularly? Uh, well, I, I kind of took a wrong turn of events. I, I grew up in a small town in Wyoming called Wheatland, Wyoming. I graduated with 89 students, uh, had a tremendous, life growing up and then uh I went to college when I went to college uh I was such I led a such a sheltered life uh growing up that I had no idea about the world uh I was not streetwise I was not uh man I, I I was so sheltered I had no idea what was going on and when I got to college, uh, I did really good. And the next thing you know, I fell into a group of guys and they all got busted with, uh, Colorado before they've got this legalization of marijuana that they were cultivating massive amounts. And, uh, when I was in college, I was studying broadcasting communication and agriculture. And I helped them do a whole bunch of, uh, ground adjustment on uh, refurbishing the ground and they all got busted. So I got busted with them. And I ended up, uh, due to the fact I was under the age of 18 and going to college, that I had to leave the state of Wyoming because of uh, my involvement. So they told me I had to leave the state of Wyoming for about five years. And that was part of my probation was to kind of believe. And I had no idea what was going on at the time. And I didn't get in any trouble compared to the other gentlemen that were there. But uh, due to the fact that was the involvement of what they were doing and they were working for the government and plant propagation for experimental use. And they weren't, let's say they weren't just, uh, they were they were harvesting it for money instead of doing what they were doing for the scientific study. And I didn't know all that. Yeah. So you just went in and like, yeah, guys, I can help you fix the soil. Oh, yeah. I was, I was totally into it because I thought it was like the coolest thing that these guys were getting grant money and and stuff for the government to grow cannabis that I thought it was, I thought it was super cool. And when it was all said and done, I ended up going to California and, uh, I'm an only child. I have no connections anywhere or anybody. My mother and father are the world to me. And I was separated from them. And, uh, I went to California. I lived on the beach in Ventura, California for about nine months with sand fleas chewing on parts of my bodies that, that were, 
Dan, I'm glad it's covered up now. Uh, I ate ravioli out of a can. I bounced at a local tavern. I did stand-up comedy, and I did that for about six months. And when I was there working, I ran into an individual, and he did fuel. And he was a fuel management uh, gentleman for the Army Corps of Engineers. And I did some stand-up comedy, and he was there. And he says, man, he says, you know, you're not real funny. I said, well, I'm, I'm more of a working guy than anything else, but this was about all I could kind of pick up. And he says, well, he says, you're a big guy. He says, have you ever thought about trade or trade school? And I said, well, my dad's uh, one of the founding instructors in, at a welding college in Wyoming, and I just can't go back to do any of that stuff that uh, I'm kind of stuck out here and kind of revamping. So he says, if you ever get $20,000 together, he says, you ought to come look me up. And he gave me a business card. And he said, we'll get you going in being a fuel manager. He says, I work for the Army Corps of Engineers as a private contractor. And he says, most of everything the Corps does is contracted out. And he says, we do a lot of the fuel. And I said, well, if I ever find 20 grand, man, I'll, I'll enroll and get a uh, National Fire Code Institute license to work with fuel. And I, I bummed around a little bit and uh, just couldn't get a grasp on a lot of things. Uh, I would drift in and out of different bars. I was a, a bar fighter. Um, I collected money for people for whatever they had, mostly out of Tahoe for gambling debts. Uh, I, I helped a gentleman run escorts and uh, prostitution just as a guy that would pull up and pick up and drop off women. And I did that for until I was about 24 years old. So for about four years of my life, I was, I was the, the person that people told you not to hang out with. I was a big guy. I weighed at a 220 pounds and I was a monster. I'm a pretty big guy the way it is, but I was a monster. I was very intimidating. I didn't have very many friends. I didn't, uh, I didn't really associate with anybody. I was just, a, I was, I was overall a pretty horrible individual. I didn't like myself and I didn't like anybody else. And one day I was uh, crawling out of a motel room in Southern California. Edison had a newspaper article about water shortage. And being from where I was in Wyoming, all of our water goes to every state but our own. Uh, we even get fined in Wyoming for trying to harbor water by Nebraska or uh, Idaho, all the way to California, because all their water comes from us. Everything from the west uh, side of the Mississippi, all the water comes from Wyoming. We're almost the highest point with the water cap that runs down to everything to the Columbia and then back down to the Mississippi. So water, I knew, was a big deal. And so I'm reading this article you know, I'm not really caring about anything. And about that time, Home Depot was just starting to become really big. So as I'm wandering, reading this article, I walked into a Home Depot. And they had uh, water conservation shower heads. And I thought it was really kind of cool. Uh, reading this article, seeing these shower heads. Uh, the shower heads were $8. So I bought four of them. Uh, I went and made some copies of this article from the LA times about Southern California Edison would give you rebates and 
help reduce your bills and stuff if you bought the five star energy or five star energy saving appliances and stuff and so i had this shower head that was eight dollars that was saving 50 percent of the water usage with all of its uh third-party credentials and i had this article so i went to kinko's and i made my own little company and it was totally not legitimate there was nothing legitimate about any of it and i went to a uh, motel six Sorry and i told that. the manager of the motel i work for a company called water we remove your shower head for a dollar. We install a shower head for a dollar. And the shower heads cost $12. And it'll save you 50% of your water usage at your motel. And when I give you the receipt for the installation, you can turn it into Southern California Edison. And they'll go ahead and they'll start giving you a reduction because you're saving water on your bill and your water bill is going to drop. That's, so I that's hilarious, man. <laughs> yeah gentleman all the information and he happened to be a large owner of motel sixes he had 27 of them in california and motel six is there in some areas you know they have like 500 rooms so i ended up doing all the motel sixes i did some howard johnson's I made one hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars in one year and it was from changing out water heads man shower heads and motels what I like, though, is that you just did it, man. You just saw an opportunity, and you're like, I'm just going to do this. And well, I didn't uh, have anything going for me, Drew. I, 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 I was, I like I said, I, I didn't care about my life. I didn't care about anything that was going on. I wasn't the greatest guy. Yeah. Like I said, I was, I was a bar fighter. And, you know, people actually, you know, it's like Billy the Kid when you're that way. People come actually looking for you to see if they're tougher than you are. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it made me it made me a really sad individual and I didn't like myself and I'm sure a lot of people didn't like me either. You're you're doing this business at the time, you know, you you, you got tired pretty much of people just trying to to take your lunch money and prove that they're tougher than you and all this other stuff. And so you just in an agorist way just start a business and you're like, I can save you money. Let's do this. You get a big contract right away. I mean, so at this point, you start to like feel a lot better about yourself. Well, I didn't. I didn't really adjust. I, I just was going from motel to motel, changing waterheads. Uh, I didn't have to pay to stay, and they had continental breakfast, and I didn't really care about who I was, what I was doing, and I just started putting money in this bank account. And every time I would go to do that, that guy's card would pop up. And yeah. I don't know if it was karma. I don't know if it was some something that either people say spiritual. There's all kinds of stuff that that, that, that people want to go with it. But uh, I ended up uh, working in a motel. And here I had all this money in this bank account. And I was just wrapping up this contract on the border of Oregon. And I saw all these little kids playing outside. And, man, I was like, I like to have a lot of little kids, man. I. I've always, I've always liked kids and I watched all these little kids play and I, uh, stepped outside and I met this girl just happened to be there. And, uh, I talked to her for about 15 minutes and she says, well, I'm getting ready to leave Monterey, California and start my life. And I have nowhere to go. And I said, Oh, well, what's your dad doing? She says, well, he's the sheriff of Monterey County. I was like, well, that'd be a big change for me. So I uh, 
ended up taking her with me and I, I took the money from what I made and I called that guy and I ended up uh, getting trained as a, f- a fuel tech engineer and ended up becoming a, uh, a CGS seven for the army Corps of engineers as a private contractor. And I ended up traveling all over the world uh, with this girl and we, we, you know, I, all the way up until 2002 and I worked for the Army Corps of Engineers as a private contractor building fueling stations and generator facilities and learning everything there was to learn about fuel. And that's awesome. Man. That, well, during that course, I, I, I always remember, I think the biggest thing that changed my life about how you have to be good to people, because I was good to this girl and everything that I did, I, I worked hard. Everything I did, I did. I did it to the best of my ability and we were in the Philippines and we were building a generator station and I I, I always remember it. I think it was the, the biggest turning point of my life was we were riding in the back of a, a Jeep to go back in, into town. And I remember the, the guys in the back of the Jeep that had a little camp stove and a frying pan. And they talked about, well, we better get ready for the piranhas. Well, I was like, freaking piranhas, man! You guys sound like, like when I was down. Uh, well, I was, I was down in Panama, and they talked about gorillas. And I said, man, I've been over the Congo building generator facilities for the AWACS satellite system, man. I, I know what gorillas are. There ain't no gorillas over here. And what they were talking about gorillas was different than what I was talking about. And when I, when they were talking about piranhas, they talked about the herds of little kids that were going to come up to us begging because we were white Americans. And they called them the piranhas because as soon as, as soon as more of them, more of them get on you, all of a sudden you're to the ground, they're stripping your pockets, they're taking your shoes off. I mean, they're little kids. I mean, they're, they're about seven, you know, it's about the average age of this pack of kids. And I, and I mean, there's, there's like 50 of them. To, to bands of 60 of them that, you know, they just, they overcome you. And so I, I didn't know what piranhas were. So these, wait, so these kids just literally like, they just jump on you. Is it, are they like trying oh, to mug you or they just want to hug you? Well, they come up at two or three at a time and they change you, you change, you change. And all of a sudden there's five of them. There's six of them. All of a sudden they're patting down your pockets. Next thing you know, there's 10 or 12 of them all around you and they're patting down all your pockets and, uh, next thing you know, you're, you know, you're trying to get away and you trip and you fall and they're all over you and they're pulling your shoes off. And, uh, man, it, it's like a pack of piranhas. They just take, you know, they're just pulling everything off of you They're, they, you know, it's what, one thing is that when you see a violent stage of aggression anywhere in life and any type of people, uh, people feed on that. Yeah. Especially those that are already that way. When you have uh, a few people fighting, uh, people that are already aggressive and angry already join in. Uh, it's like a, it's like how riots start here. Yeah. You have a few that are outraged. It spreads to a couple more that are outraged. Now they're all outraged, and then it just flows like a a shook a soda pop. It just overspills, and there's nobody knows where it really started or what happened, but it's out of control. And that's just how these kids are. There's you know there's there's hundreds of them. When I looked at them, they look like the little rascals. You know, their jeans and stuff were four sizes too big, tied together with rope and 
burlap bags for dresses and you know there'd be you know like 50 of them by the time it was done and they'd be i mean they'd be all over you and you know and when when i talked to other guys in the military you know they said well you know you get lots of chocolate and candy and you just kind of toss chocolate and candy out but these guys were getting ready for the piranhas like i said i didn't really know what they were talking about at the time and they had a frying pan and a camping stove and they just dumped all their change in the frying pan and heated it up and then when the little kids would come, they'd toss it out in the street, and the kids would grab it, and it'd burn their hands. That's just, that's cruel. <laughs> well, it was terrible, man. Yeah. Kids aren't going to let go because the, to them, you know, a quarter to us is a quarter to them. That was hundreds of dollars, man. Yeah. You know, they didn't, they didn't really know. And on some outskirts of those areas, you know, those kids are impoverished. So they're not going to let go. So it's going to burn their hands. And I was like, man, I said, uh, you know, what? why do we do that? And he says, well, it makes it so they can't grab you anymore, right? Their hands are going to be burnt, and they're gonna not going to be able to grab things and stuff, And but they got they got changed. They got paid for it. Man, that sticks in my mind, like I said, still today, very vividly, of how that stuff is. And that was a changing point to me about kids, because these kids had no choice. You know, we would walk through the streets, and I would see the kids actually take uh, paper, a newspaper, any type of paper, and they dip it in the mud puddles and eat it so they could have something in their stomachs, man. That's how bad it was. And when I came back to the United States and was just doing stuff, uh, I did, I built all the gas stations. I ended up doing some other private contracting. I built all the gas stations for the Post Department in California. I started uh, going more into more corporate business. I started building Costco gas buildings. And I just kind of started regressing to make more of a, a home life here. Because uh, being over there, man, that's a... Uh, the United States is Disneyland. Yeah. I don't think even people even understand. You know, they just had that bombing over in Turkey. I, this is uh, 2000, or yeah, we're in 2016. And it's July, and they had a bombing here in Turkey. And, I mean, five bombs went off. They couldn't even get into the airport because the 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 guards and stuff there at the airport, you have to go through, like, four or five checkpoints to go in and off the planes to get into the terminals. Even when you're leaving a plane, they check you. The security is so tight there, and yet they have bombings there. And here we're mad about TSA. Yeah. For a 20 minute wait that, you know, uh, this is Disneyland compared to some things that I got to see in my travels. And I just couldn't believe that none of these, no kid has ever asked to be born. There, uh, there hasn't never been one that's ever walked up to me and said, this is my dad is going to be John. This is going to be mom. She's going to be Mary. We're going to live in Tallahassee. We're going to live in this house, and my name's going to be Ryan. No child has ever had that choice. Not one. And then they have to make it. They either have to make it by either really good parents, or they have to learn to strive to survive, man. And here's all these kids that I've seen from all over the world that are only learning to strive to survive. None of them has to be here. Some of them are already born with diseases that they can't control. And they have to strive to survive. Yeah, and people here, they should really be striving to thrive. Or, or give it all away. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's 
nothing to give up time. Yeah. Nothing to give up anything. I mean, I went from being somebody that you would not sit down with to somebody that I hope that if you sat down, you'll let me buy the meal. Yeah. Uh, I hope that I, I can give everything that I have and more back. Uh, so, it, you know, I, I changed all my stuff and I had a really do, good degree now in fuel management. I work for the EPA. I test tanker trucks, airplane wings and all kinds of stuff with this with this opportunity that was given to me. And I came back to Wyoming after my grandfather died in 1999. I still did contracting. I would fly in and out. And how, how long had you been gone? Like, did you, did you eventually go back to Wyoming after the five years was up? And like, when you got done with school? Or... Oh, no, I, no, I, I, I traveled. I, I did all this work for the Army Corps of Engineers. When I got in trouble, that was in 1990. Uh, I, I started working for the army Corps of engineers in a training program in 94. I started traveling the world from 94 to 2004, but I came back to Wyoming in 1999, 2000. So after about 10 years of being gone from Wyoming, I came back. And out of the 10 years that I was gone from Wyoming, about seven years of that was with the army Corps of engineers as a private contractor building you know, Nellis Air Force Base, uh, the Marine Barracks in Carolina, uh, just different you know, Hawaii's generator facility. I just traveled. I mostly specialized in generator facilities and Air Force uh, JP-8 fueling, hydrants. I worked at Nellis Air Force Base, I, uh, Chatsworth. I, I, I built uh, fueling hydrants for, for jets and stealth bombers. So... I got to see a lot of the world from it, but I didn't get back to Wyoming until about 2000. And I still worked as an EPA contractor until about 2004. Uh, just working out of, out of my home. I didn't really have to do anything. I made enough money to where everything was kind of cool for me because I, I didn't really want anything. And I, I still don't. After seeing what I see, I, my house that I bought, I bought, and half of it was burnt down, and I've rebuilt it with my father. From when we see him rebuilding a hotel, we ask him if we can have the extra siding. If they're rebuilding an apartment building, I'm I'm taking the windows that they're removing for the ones they're reinstalling, and I'm using those in my house. I try to refurbish and reuse everything I can, and everything that I have, I try to give away. It may it may sound really odd, but. I feel that I owe it to I, in a big I, I in a big anarcho capitalist community. It does sound very odd, but I I think your reasoning behind it is that's what makes you happy, man. That's what you got to do. Like if that's what you feel like you're supposed to be doing, then that's what you got to do. I I I don't I don't need government to help me do anything. If I want it, I'll build it. If I want it to happen for me, I make it happen. I'm strong enough. I'm mentally aware enough i'm way more streetwise now than i was uh, when i was 17 years old uh, i can make things happen i don't need anybody's help when i do it all i do it all by myself and the only partner that i have is my father that's awesome now do you have kids now michael uh i had one from the woman that i met she's actually turning 18 next year uh, she goes back and forth to california because that's where uh her mom is and stuff and 
but she lives with me here in Wyoming because I'm I don't po- I don't police. Yeah. I'm you'll make it happen and you'll learn from your own mistakes. Right? I'm only here to help you and give you wisdom and so she loves living with me here, but she loves to go to California because it's California. Where they live in, uh, it's, yeah, they live in Elk Grove or and they can go 30 minutes to Tahoe to go skiing and then 30 minutes down the road to the Pier 39. Yeah. So she loves that part of it, but she doesn't want to live there because uh, it's just, it's man, it's expensive to live there. The crime rate's incredible there. Yeah. It's just, uh, to me, it's a terrible place. After everywhere I've been, I, I kind of like Wyoming. not being around a lot of people unless they are people that work. Like when we were talking about the, you know, the gentleman from Rob Kaiser. Yeah, man, those guys work. I love those guys. Yeah, those Greg guys. Burns, Rob. I think, you know, I think that's what we all get along. And uh, even uh, my man, uh, Scott Hebert from Chili Walk, uh, British Columbia, like we're always working, man. Like, uh, and I'm always doing something because if I'm not doing something, dude, I get really depressed. Like I get really, if I'm not doing something, I, I just get really, uh, I don't feel like I'm, I have purpose. So I stay busy. And totally. I, yeah. Yeah, you hit it. I don't have I don't have any self worth if I'm not doing what I do. If I'm not going to help an elderly person remove the bees out of their house, I mean, I just did one for an apartment building. I made great money from it because uh, there's not a lot of people around here that's willing to go get stung for cash. So, <laughs> how do you? So great. how did you get into the bees? Like, what did you get in the mead first, and then the bees, or was it the bees first, and then the mead? It was mead first, man. I. I, 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 everywhere I went in my travels, everybody had different kind of liquor that they drank and tea hoss and all kinds of stuff was made with honey from wherever I, wherever I traveled. And that's kind of where I was getting with, with being, you know, winning from a crappy guy to actually paying back my debt, becoming a tradesman who I came home to where my grandfather died. And here I am. I'm finally home. I'm finally making worth of myself where I feel good about myself. And as I'm going through all his stuff with my mother, I found a book from Ireland. And uh, it was written in Gaelic. And it had some ruins and stuff in it from North Atlantic. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't know anything about it. So I went and uh, paid to have it translated. When it was translated, it was a huge, badass story about war, man, over a drink. That's awesome. Uh, it, it talked about... Uh, how they stole beehives out of Persia and how they brought them up into Ireland and how many different Vikings and stuff and different tribes would go down in those areas and steal beehives and bring them up North. That's crazy. They would uh, make competitions of King's mead and my clan's mead was made a certain way. And your clan's mead was certain way. And the only time anybody got to drink it was before we went to war, after we went to war. If one of the uh, parliament or what we would, you know, the graces would have a marriage or a death. Or if we had parliament with another clan. And you would bring your meat and we would bring our meat and we'd all sit down and we'd get drunk. Yeah. And, and the best mead was the king's mead. And if your king's mead wasn't as good as our king's mead. It was starting a big fight, and that's how you got a lot of those uh, Celtic games of the rock throwing and uh, caber tossing and stuff was 
that's how we fought, right? Was that who was the strongest, who was the best? It was because of our King's Mead. So because are you I mean, Scotch? Are you Scotch Irish then, or is it just uh, my family's from uh, Count Mayo, Ireland? Okay, out of Galway. That's uh, we were ran out of there. My family was ran out of uh, Ireland for uh, creating genocide against a family called Boycott. The so, king said that basically you pay this guy for your land. We lived here our whole lives, so we killed that whole family. Had to run, and that's where you get the term boycott. Is because the family we killed is the boycott. We weren't going to pay. That's crazy. That's interesting. Uh, that's all part of that man. That was all in this this, this so, ledger. So when they and just out of curiosity, because this book sounds fascinating to read, when they translated it, is it like a word document? Is it electronic or? Uh... No, it was all the guy hand read it. He went through. It took him uh, four months to figure out all the ruins because some from were Iceland. And basically, what it talked about was that all these clans would to get together. They would drink mead before all this stuff, and then it was the greatest king's drink because the king controlled all the beehives. He told which lands got pollinated, which bakeries got the sweet sap for making bread. And all the leftovers, honey that was used afterwards was used to make the king's mead. And at the end of the ledger, it says, here in Ireland on our land, after we killed all the Vikings, they only left two things. This fantastic recipe for mead and these dead bodies that we walk upon today. And I just thought that was tremendously badass. Yeah, dude. So we sat down and me and... uh a friend of mine and one of my cousins made mead. And we were taking it to different places because people, you know, really don't hear heard about it. They didn't really know much about it. This was way before microbrewing even and stuff. And uh, one guy says, man, he says, I have never experienced anything so smoky and so sweet at the same time. And he says, I've only had like a glass of this. And I'm already starting to catch a huge buzz. He says, this is pretty damn good. And, I, you know, we were pretty happy about it. So in 2005, I decided that, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make mead. Yeah. And how do you eat as bees? So I, I went ahead and I pulled out a couple hundred thousand dollars in cash. And I, I bought out a apiary out of California that did pollination. And we moved bees from California to Wyoming to start making honey. And I knew jack shit about bees. Just from what I read and from what people tell me, oh, you put them in the field, right? You just check them every once in a while and you steal the honey when they're done, man. It's really easy. And, man, I didn't know nothing. And I lost $70,000 out of the one shipment uh, within one year. And couldn't make mead. Was out a couple hundred thousand bucks and here i was i was like well this was what i was going to retire on i was gonna you know i was i was turning 32 i had this recipe for mead and we were going to do bees and i was just gonna go back to the family farm where grandpa always said you know if any problems ever happen you always just come back to the farm and it's gonna take care of itself so i bought 40 acres out of all that that was the original homestead that we brought from ireland we're gonna put bees here Man, I, I made a tremendous loss and lost everything I had. And I said, well, I've made this investment. I've never been anyone to com- to quit. I've never ran from anything ever in my life. 
probably why my face looks the way it does. <laughs> and I've never ran from a problem. And I said, I have a problem. So I sat down with my dad, who is my intern. He is my confidant. He is my best friend. I love that guy. And I said, I'm going to make a, a huge investment. And I said, we're going to learn about bees, me and you. I said, we're going to travel and we're going to learn about beekeeping. And I think the best way to find out beekeeping is to find out where it originated and to start all the way back and work our way back to where we are right now to learn bees. And I said, we'll use my money. I said, I have this place that we bought that we're working on. I have that 40 acre plot up in the hills. And I said, you're retired. My mom's retired. I said, "Uh, we'll, we'll do bees, man. I said, me and you. So my father and I started out, we went to a couple university talks. Then we went to a couple venues and shows. And man, we took notes and we took all kinds of notes. And I ended up traveling to Pennsylvania. And one of the speakers there uh, was talking about colony collapse disorder. And it's something that's happening. It's going to be here. And so I started looking into it and I told my dad, I said, you know, in Europe, they've already experienced this. I said, we should take a trip. It's awesome. And we should learn about bees. I said, you know, we we made an original investment on all this. We had about 2,200 hives and we were barely cutting it and making it, feeding them and all this. I said, we should do something. And believe it or not, by the good grace of all the gods and mother nature herself, I something heard something and we had hurricane Katrina and people say, man, you're a really good guy donating 1500 highs to the people in Louisiana to rebuild after Katrina. He says, man, what a, what a donation. Believe it or not, man, that was such a blessing to get rid of thousands <laughs> of highs, man, that, we, we we were having struggling times. We were getting ready to take this trip. And so we donated beehives to hurricane victims in Katrina to rebuild their apiaries. Uh, we took a huge uh, loss, used that as a tax write-off, and went to India. That's and awesome. Turkey. And we tracked where the bees were, and we went to Poland, and I found King Henry VIII's beekeepers and Lauren Huff. And I found out that he lives in Minnesota and his family were the beekeepers there. And they were, you know, from the 16th century beekeeping. And his family's generation was all the way here to America. So we followed them how they got here to America. And they came into Virginia. And then from Virginia, two beekeepers brought them to Wyoming. And I met, I mean, I followed everything I could. I took my master's. in Uganda for beekeeping uh, took some beekeeping courses in Ethiopia got a master's in beekeeping in Indonesia uh, I did as much as I could I studied all I could about bees about everything that I could from everybody that was putting them in logs which I think is the coolest and the best thing is the Turkish log beekeeping to the Slovak hive where the guys keep them in buildings and they have little doors inside that they walk inside and these little, uh, they call them care. Uh, they're, they're trailers, man. They, they call them caravan. Uh, but, uh, 
they call you know they got these little trailers and they go in them and they move them throughout scandinavia i learned man bees were so fascinating to me and how many people did it and the different styles and how beekeeping actually worked and how they were fighting colony collapse disorder in europe and stuff and they came back to the states our beekeeping we still had some hives i had some people managing we came back and we started applying some of these techniques and some of the beekeepers around were, didn't understand any of the stuff we were doing. And some of them were really old, man. Beekeeping for over 35 years. Uh, two generation deep beekeeping. Uh, couldn't understand some of the stuff that we were applying and trying to do. Uh, we were using a, a bee formula by Gunther Hawk from Biodynamic Beekeeping from Spiking Farm. And, and one guy goes, no, you spend so much money on honey and all these herbs. He says, sugar water is what the bees need. And I was like, man, you need to rebuild their cognitive memory. And you need to treat these bees like you would your favorite horse, man. That everything that you use, you have to treat with respect. And I said, you dumping sugar and stuff and making your bees larger, thinking they're going to carry more pollen and dropping this massive foundation in without treating the foundation. And I mean, there was a lot and we ended up talking to an individual that was the master beekeeper and taught entomology at UC Davis. And he had a little bee place uh, in Sacramento where they sold stuff. And we, t I talked to him for two days about all this stuff. And he goes, man, he says, how many beehives do you have? And I said, well, I said, we're about to 500. I said, I'm, I'm keep on downsizing because I want to be more manageable. And I, I think honey is not the business now. I think making bees is the business. And he just gave me a big hug. And he says, I don't think anybody's ever caught that. That if you can propagate bees where you can make your own queens and you can split hives and you can make bees grow, he says, this is what's going to bring back the bees. And so we came back. I downsized again to where I was doing about 200 beehives. We started teaching classes and I started working with kids, writing pollination agreements and proclamations for different states and really got into massive beekeeping and lost the full aspect of why I got into it was making me. My whole aspect was to try to teach kids to propagate bees. I, I mean, it was it, the adventure from 2004 until 2010 was intense and mind-blowing. And some of the stuff that I know about beekeeping, uh, some people say is a whole bunch of crack that they, you know, until you show them what it does and why you do it. And that it's okay to be a commercial beekeeper. We need to feed the world, man. I don't care what anybody says. You're only going to pollinate so many plants with your local bee yard. Yeah, we need commercial beekeepers. But man, if everybody that could have a beehive would have at least two so they could manage them and propagate bees. And if you learned, uh, man, I after listening to Jack Spearco a couple of times, a guy turned me on to him and he was just actually doing all these bee segments with all these guys talking of bees, calling him, talking about bees. And I said, well, that's a hobby beekeeper. And finally, my dad says, well, why aren't you calling? 
And I said, well, I, I will call him. So I called him. I said, we do bees, man. I said, I'd like to come down to, you know, and meet you. He says, well, I'm going to do my first event, man. You should come down and talk about bees. So we did his first event and came down there. And there was a guy from Ohio that had been keeping bees for a long time. Thousands of hives. Was a master beekeeper, master entomologist with a master's degree in entomology and beekeeping from Ohio. And he came. And I think that was the big thing that turned Jack around and turned a lot of people around on, on my beekeeping skills is, you know, I was talking about how often you wash your bee suit, how many bee suits you have to own, uh, how to use different types of smokers, what types of smokes you need to use. I think that these grafting measures are better for making your populations grow. This is how you travel in truck bees. He goes, man, you don't learn that stuff in school. That's what the so, guy from Ohio said. Yeah. He says, you don't learn that stuff in school. He says, you either have to go and do it. He says, in every book I've ever read, and he says, in my seven years at the university, I've never heard anybody talk about how you wash their bee suits the way you do and how you're using different bee suits for different things to train your bees. He says, I've never heard any of this stuff. And then we worked bees, and I, you know, I showed some stuff out at Jack's. We set up his beehives, and we showed some stuff about incense and washing your bees and using the different types of suits. And stuff. And he goes, my God, man. He says, have you ever thought about writing a book about this? And I said, man, I'm not technically trained on anything. I said, I can't spell. I said, I was in a huge car accident that destroyed, you know, I had a cerebral bleed. That was one reason why I moved back to Wyoming is after a car wreck in 2000 that nearly killed me. That's why I was sorting through books and trying to figure out my life. I said, uh, I, I, I couldn't write a book. And he says, man, you should just start doing seminars and classes. He says, I've never seen anything like this. And that's when Jack picked me up and he says, he says, this is where, so this is where people learn. He says, as they ask questions and you try to describe it the best you can. He says that, uh, I have beekeepers here and all of them have told me that since you've been here, that they've been inspired to change some of their beekeeping, to get back into beekeeping or even try to do things with beekeeping that they've never thought they'd ever do before. And I went down there to try to learn how to grow plants, man. <laughs> I was just getting back into why I was doing bees, man. After 10 years on this, you know, of going through life, of trying to figure out what I want to do, I wanted to get into bees and teaching kids and work with orphanages, and I wanted to make a fine product. And the finest product is regenerative agriculture is that if you spend your time developing a program to make the best product, I don't care what it costs and what it does, people will find you. And so I, I, I went down there to learn from, from Jack and uh, Nick Bertner and Nicholas Ferguson. And I met all these guys that were coming out with permaculture. And I, uh, we talked about, regenerative agriculture and function stacking and how to use less time for more product. And it doesn't matter if your tomatoes vine across the ground, right? It's about what you do with them when you're done. Yeah. Because if you have thousands of tomatoes, you're only going to eat so much, man. So you need to learn to do this. And that's why I went to Jack's was to learn about making food or making plants that made better pollination for my bees. Cause I ended up building my own, my own system. And when you get out of doing permaculture and you get your 
certificates to teach and your design course certificates and you do some food forestry and you donate your time, you end up building your own system. I think everybody that gets deeply involved ends up, you know, it's one thing to watch uh, Paul Wheaton do things, the king of permaculture or whatever, but he's, he's the Duke. Yeah. the <laughs> Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's one thing to watch old Dukey do stuff. <laughs> right. And, and to hear stuff. And it's a whole different measure to listen to Nick Burtner out of Texas do it where his whole time is to feed kids, man. I'm truly, I, he truly inspired me because we fell right in our own gap right there. It's about, it's about fixing, fixing the earth and feeding kids, man. That was, I, I, he is a tremendous cat. Oh, there's my phone. Uh, but I met some phenomenal cats and what I learned from about permaculture, it's not, uh, it's not about all the principles. It's about your application on those principles. And I was at Permaculture Voices too, and I met uh, Stu, and that's uh, Bill Molson's grandson. And we talked about how we went to taught orphanages and how you do these things to make a product that's better for people to eat and it's better usage of your time for these kids to get outside and to learn it. And Stu says, you know, he says, I think you've got the grasp of what my grandfather talked about. He says, not one man's ever going to change the world and not everybody doing this stuff will change the world. You know, it's about being one with yourself and doing it. So, I developed a system for my little third of an acre homestead in Cheyenne, Wyoming, where I take time and I learn from Brad Davies how to raise quail. And I raise quail to produce poop. And I use that poop to raise beautiful uh, 15 foot to 17 foot tall sunflowers at the head diameters, man or almost two foot to feed my bees. And I'm using this technique of where the sunflowers then can be cracked and ground to feed my quail that make poop to make the sunflowers. My bees then take this fabulous product and make some of the best nectar flows where I'm getting the best honey that's best for you, for your area, that uh, I'm using that most of that honey to make more populations of bees where I'm getting a better line of bees going for people to have. And I believe that this system of trying to make a better food supply to make a better nectar flow makes my bees stronger and healthier where I get better mead. And that's, that's, that's the one reason why I did all this and, that's yeah. one reason why I try to teach people this is that they don't care what you come out with. I don't care what your style is, but you need to respect mother nature. You need to respect your fellow man, no matter what the cost is. Yeah. Gandhi gave up his life. Respecting his fellow man, his whole life, his whole man. I, I want to be that man. Yeah. 
I want to I want to be able to say I'm not only turning the other cheek, I will give it all to you. You can have it. I'm a man. I can rebuild it. <laughs> all over. I can do it all, all by myself. I think that's the one thing that people don't get is that it's not it's not computerized. It's a hoe in a hand. It's not the uh, money that you have in your pocket. I'm a huge barter, man. Everybody that you'll probably meet that's ever worked with me or done something, man, I'll barter. Yeah, I I, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I, I think social capital is the strongest capital for me personally. Like, I'd, I'd way rather have social capital than anything else because without, you know... Um, without a sense of community or, or people that you can lean on or that you can help, it's hard to have that, that sense of purpose, like and meaningful help too. Like I, I think, um, I think that's, what's been great. Um, we were talking before the podcast that, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't really start listening to Jack until I first talked to Curtis and Curtis, uh, he like took, and he's a busy dude and he took like four hours out of his time to just keep talking to me and him and I talked about all this cool stuff and, uh, and then just really pointed me in like really good directions on, Hey, you should check out this guy. You should check out this guy. You should check out this guy. And then through there more, you know, kind of more kind of rabbit holes opened up. Like I started listening to survival podcasts and that's how I found out about you and your work. And, um, and I think, I think social capital is incredible. Like I, you know, if there's ever an event, man, like I, I am more than happy to, to pull a, you met, did you meet Kurt Henry at PV2 as well? Like the guy that he doesn't drink, but he, he, uh, he spends these huge bar tabs, just making sure everyone's having a good time. And no, like, man, I wish him because his, his bill would have been huge. Oh dude. It was, he probably <laughs> bought you a drink at PV2 if you're hanging out with Rob and them. But, uh, Kurt's, Kurt's the same way, man. He's all about community. Like he's all about, uh, you know, he, he, and he's, and he's a, he's a nice, gracious, human being and it's like man i want to be like kurt when i when i get to kurt's age like just like filled fill, filled with grace and wanting to pay it forward and um so i don't i don't know if you feel the same way and it sounds like you do but i mean like having a a, a, lo- a strong loose network of people has really changed the way i've lived my life like shooting having that be a big like uh trying to have a system of that like trying to have you know, just groups of people that, you know, it, it was cool that, you know, I reached out to, 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 and, and one of the reasons why we're talking is to promote an event that you're going to be at, not to, not to throw a, an anchor in your story here, but like, you know, that's, that's why we're talking ultimately is, and we'll, we'll finish with it is to promote an event that you're going to be at teaching about bees and mead and everything else. Well, I, I think you've hit all that stuff about those guys. Um, not one of them has ever asked to be in the position that they're in. Yeah. Curtis Stone never asked to be the guy that people talk about spin farming. He never asked for that. No. But he knew how to own it. He knew how to own that space. And he knew how to how to how he does to, it with a passion. Yeah, he does, man. Like I, I watch his YouTube vlogs now, like every day. Like I'm so happy he does them daily now because I'll be at work. And like when I'm at work sitting in my cube 
it like helps me stay focused. Okay, when this is what I need to do when I get off, or this is what I'm going to do tomorrow morning before I go to work. I'm still not that good at it, by the way. Like I need to get more disciplined. Um, but you know, he, he puts content out there to inspire other people, and then his content inspires me to produce my content. And you know what I mean? And it's and then maybe my content inspires other people to do what they're doing. So it's it's all it. That's what it's all about. Yeah, it's uh, it's totally about giving it all away. Uh, like so that you Jack gives all that stuff away. If you want to give a donation, become a, a subscriber and stuff. He's you know to help us keep going. He's in, but he he's on there every day, giving out information for free. Yeah. And if you've listened to him, you know when I listened to him, I was first hearing him, it was an hour with Jack. And he wasn't happy. You can even tell when he talked on on a stuff about giving the information. Listen to him talk about ducks. Yeah. Now, right? He is passionate about being outside and working his ducks. And he's, and man, he loves it. Uh, when you talk to. He just did that to, uh, first Permit Ethos TV thing about ducks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you, when you talk to. Uh, have you ever, have you ever have you ever met Mike Vertries? No, he's the other uh, lumber squatch crew part. Well, we that's mainly Ohio, but like I know he's like he's good friends with uh, with um, uh, Rob and uh, Greg and Steve Harbolt, like dudes in Ohio here that I've been able to connect man, with. That guy is he is he's a huge big man, and when it talks to when when you want to sit down to. He loves being outside and he loves his pigs, man. He loves being outside and he and he respects his 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 mother nature. Um when you get to and you talk to Rob and those guys about Rob and you see his photos of the people helping him build his high tower. Rob's Rob's amazing with building community. And, that's his that's his passion. It's, yeah, it's his smile on his face. And the first thing that he told all those guys cuz I read it is what are we eating? Yeah. Right? It wasn't about anything else about I have to I have to feed you guys. Right? I, I have to. Uh anywhere you go when when people find their calling that never choose it. I I never chose to be a beekeeper, man, other than the fact that I wanted to make mead. I never chose to be somebody that the phone rings off the hook. <laughs> uh, the instant messenger comes off uh, a guy of Connie says hey man how much for you to come and teach a class I turned down so many offers on teaching classes because it's not part of my agenda uh, if it's not going to be a small tight niche community that's going to do it uh, when I went to Permaculture Voices and there was over a thousand people coming through and people would say your name, and I saw your videos, and I got, you know, uh, I don't know any of those people, and I don't know how you're going to apply anything that I'm going to teach you. And yeah. if I sit down and I teach you something, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to teach you because you you have to know this stuff. It's not because you wanted to know this; you asked, and now you have to know it. And I'm not going to leave you until you got it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to give you anything that you cannot can control. I want you to master it 
I want you to understand it from front to back. There are 27 different ways to make queens. I'm going to teach you the one, and I'm going to find out which one you grasp on the best, and we're going to go with that, man. And I'm going to teach you, if you're going to do a larva grafting method, we're going to teach you, and we're going to find the different tool that you can pull out the larva the best with. I'm going to teach you what cells to look for, or if you're going to use in your own caps, or if you're going to buy caps, which way is going to be the best effective way for you. Because my way that I'm doing it may not work for you, but I know many different ways. And I'm going to find the one that works for you because you reached out to me, not because you, you have a whole bunch of people. I mean, I teach at the University of Wyoming's B College, and it grows every year to sold-out capacity to where we're renting the whole uh, Laramie County uh, Community College Center for a week because it has so many people that come. That's awesome, and people, man. People come. Uh, I've watched Jack Spirico turn people down because of the type of people that come. Because when they're teaching you, they're not just going to throw you out an idea and a concept, man. They're going to teach you. You know, we're taught, you know, the reason I'm on here is for a regenerative agriculture conference. It's coming up in Calhan, Colorado. Uh, two individuals, uh, Benton and uh, Danielle. Uh, met met each other on a Facebook chat site of regenerative agriculture. They were close together. Their ideas were similar. And, you know, they're going out of their way to bring in some, some I think, spectacular people that do just what I'm talking about. That not only, you know, it's one thing to go to Permaculture Voice and listen to a guy lecture about what he does. Right? I, I, that was the one thing that, there were some phenomenal people, man. I got to meet Paul Stamus, man, mushroom cat of the world, man. I got to meet some fantastic people. But the one thing that I really liked when I go to Jack's or if, like, you know, you're talking about the little group there in Ohio, they get together is the hands-on grasp of what's going on. It's one thing for a guy to sit down and say, well, you know, this is how you build a high tunnel. And when I grew my high tunnel, I went with tomatoes and we produced this amount of tomatoes and this is what we sold them for. And this was really good for our, for us. And this is how we made money doing it. That's all fine and dandy, but to have a guy sit down now, let me show you how to put a high tunnel together. Here's four different ways, man. Here's small. They're called worm tunnels. They're for small growing. They're for mostly winter crop growing. This is what you need to cover during hailstorms. This is what's going to make most of your lettuce, your kale, grow high enough to where when it starts reaching the top, it won't go to seed because you're going to be able to cut it. That's a whole different measure than a guy telling you this is what I do. Yeah. And when Curtis Stone sits down and he says, this is how you're going to lay this out, man. This is how you're going to lay down your fabric. This is going to be your walkway areas, right? It's just like when you design your permaculture. You got to sit down and you got to take a hands-on approach. Uh, when uh, Justin comes, he talks about permaculture chickens, right? He's going to come to this event. He's going to be talking about how to move your chickens. And he's talked to chicken farmers, everything from Darby Simpson to Joel Salton. I mean, the gentleman only wanted to learn about chickens, man. And when it comes to chickens, that's the guy you talk to. He knows yeah. about chickens. When you talk about uh, spin farming and how to grow constant product year round, you talk to Curtis Stone. Yeah. If you want to 
talking about ducks and paddock shifting feeds for cheap, low budget, how to gain, gain clientele for your ducks to make a profit. You're talking to Jack. He spent, he does it. He's not writing a book on it. He's sitting down and he's taking a video and he's showing you exactly what he does. Uh, Permaculture school, right? With uh, Nick Bertner. Every time comes up and he's showing not only his workshops where people are coming and they just pay for that workshop for the day. And if you come for all the hours, he'll get you a permaculture certificate. Yeah. You can come to one of his classes and they're going to do one specific thing. Today we're going to do small inline key line designs, baby. And he's, he's super cool. He's down to earth. He wants to know you. He's not going to over talk anybody because you're there to learn. He's the one of the few guys that I ever met that when you talk to him and I learned from him because I used to just always say, I don't know. And he's one of the few guys that says, if you don't know, Michael, tell him. Yeah. I don't know. But you know what? We should try that. Yeah. I've never, I never thought about telling somebody, well, have you tried it? I just never knew. He says, at least you're honest and you tell people, well, I don't know. Right. But he says, you should encourage them to try that brother. Get them out there and have them try that. I was like, well, yeah, it's not costing me anything, right? It's it's not me doing anything, but maybe even inspiring them to try something that may be glorious. I mean, those are, you you know, we're talking about regenerative agriculture conference. Those are just some of the guys that are coming. Inspirational guys that do things for their community, for their society, for themselves. They're not doing it to make Tons of money off of people. They're doing it to show people quality of life outside the TV box, man. Yeah, absolutely. Huge. I think that is huge, man. To go, you know, here in the Rocky Mountains, people here, like I said, I come from an area in Wyoming that they don't tip waitresses. That's insane. Right? I mean, and that's a fact that... uh they, they 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 always tell waitresses, well, you guys should unionize and you guys should get better wages, right? It's old money here. Uh, nothing ever changes. It's hard to get anything going in Wyoming at all. Our whole lives have been on mining and farming. And right now, people don't know what they're doing because the mining operations and the oil operations are shutting down because of government control. So now the mining's even tighter because no one wants to get rid of it because you know, what do we do? You know, we understand that Wyoming has the most billionaires per capita, right? We have over $4 billion in a bank account. Uh, all of our school districts and everything are paid for. We don't owe anybody any money, but we're not releasing anything. We don't want to try anything new because it's workforce for so many years. We don't want to grow. Yeah. And it's hard here to get people. You tell them I'm going to bring in curtis stone into my area and they're, they're like yeah I, I looked him up i saw some youtube videos pretty interesting stuff what's it cost to come to go to that and then you say well you know it's, it costs about 125 dollars for a guy to come to the event for the day and they're like well 125 dollars and you're going yeah right you're gonna meet a guy that actually does this stuff and he goes well i don't think it's worth me coming I'll watch videos and videos. And the next thing you know, I'll have an event. And I had Nick Ferguson come and he talked about wind energy here and how to move water around using uh, 
little windmills that you buy from your Home Depot to move wind to water around all over your property to help irrigate on a cheaper level. And it was super, man, it, it, the, the information he gave out was incredible. And when I advertised for that, I asked for 20 people to come and I only got half. When it was all said and done, we talked about it. And other people said, well, you know, he says, well, can you tell me about that? And I said, I could, but I don't have time. Yeah. The time that I had was when the gentleman was here and you should have came and learned. Yeah. Well, you know, that was $125 to come. And I said, man, I had a guy come teach gold panning while he was here. Professional mountain man that gold's pan for a living. I had Amy Willard come and she's the only person I know that's wrought the who's written a Rocky mountain guild book, right? She has a, a, a manual that she's written about all the plants that grow in the Rocky mountains that grow together. She's written a guild book. Uh, I had those people come. I don't have time now because I'm applying that stuff. I don't have time to sit down and show you how to gold pan yeah. or how to move the water like Nick did. I'm applying that stuff. Now, if you want to come and help and see if you can learn hands on, you're more than welcome to join in. Cause that's how I learned. I brought in a guy to teach me hands-on training and for him to come, this is what it cost me. And if you wanted to learn, this is what it cost you. You're more than welcome to come to another event. Well, now that people see that that's what it costs for education, they're like more people are jumping on the bandwagon, but now it's really hard to get people here in the Rocky Mountain because nothing comes here to the Rocky mountains on that, on that, quantum man that most people are in texas they're in uh san diego they're far on the east coast when you get here in the you know up here in the rocky mountains there's only one person that's paul wheaton and he don't go nowhere yeah right he doesn't want to go anywhere he's got his his wheaton laboratories up there you can pay to learn everything that you want from him or you can pay to go up there and stay at his facility and take your shoes off and eat pie it's it's hard to get people to understand that education costs. Yeah, and, costs and at the same lot, time, man. people will spend thousands of dollars and max out their student loans to get an education from a university that typically doesn't really teach them any real-life skills. No, totally. See, and that was, man, I just went to Skills USA with yeah. Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe is amazing, man. Man, that dude is a badass, dude. Did I you see... I wish I could talk to him. Did you see that stuff that went down? It was actually from Columbus, where I live in Ohio. Like some girl, there was some uh, about the masonry competition. Yeah, and there's some clerical error, and and they didn't inform her properly. And then Mike Rowe was was accused of 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 trashing this girl's character, and was a lot of stuff was taken out of context. And he handled it really well. He posted on his yeah. Facebook page. No, this is what happened. He wrote the person's article with his own words. And uh, I, you know, I think. Girl, man, that if you did this good of a job and they don't believe you, tell them to F off. Yeah. Give them back their awards and all their stuff and say, I'll be back here next year. And I'm going to do something so spectacular that when it happens, you guys are going to be paying me to do it all the time. Yeah. That's basically what I said. Dude, that guy is a phenomenal guy when it comes to educating kids on trades. Man, that and, man, and, and what I think is more important about him is, uh, you know, I come from a skilled labor labor family too, and uh, you know, my dad, my dad is also was also like a whole generation of welders, 
um, you know, worked for the pipeline and the oil companies. And, um, you, you know, it's interesting because I, it, here in Columbus, I went to like a nicer, my, my mom actually moved us down to Columbus from Toledo, which Toledo is more of a blue collar city. And, uh, you know, in, in the whole idea was, no, you're going to go to college because that's, you know, that's like the, the more proper thing to do. And that's what people were kind of programmed to think like, oh, that's what you need to do to get ahead. And now everybody has college degrees and there's no opportunities. But the opportunities are all in skilled labor. The opportunities are all in learning how to farm, learning how to beekeep, learning how to to be a craftsman or, an, or, or craftsman or craftswoman and an artisan. Like artisans, that that's where the the real economy still is is within the hands of artisans. It's uh, it totally is. I don't know anything else about like how to propagate like Curtis Stone does or Nick Ferguson or do ducks. But I tell you what, when it comes to bees. I can tell you that if you are a if you become a woodman and you can do cabinets and you want to trade your profession to build boxes to put bees in, the world has opened up after Albert Korbachev came out with his micro hive. Yeah, uh, that's one job. A gentleman that builds wood boxes, one job. Now, let's say that you're in the bee business. And you can't keep bees because if they sting you, you go into anaphylactic shock. There's bumblebees. There's masonry bees. There's leaf cutter bees. There's a whole nother gamut of beekeeping. Who has to build those boxes? Who builds and, and makes and propagates those bees for sale? Yeah. Who teaches and educates. There is, I mean, when you, when I, when I sit down and I tell these kids, I, I, you know, I do a talk about once a month somewhere and I only do it to kids. And if the kids are under the age of 16, if you get me there, it's free. If you give me room and board and just feed me and get me there, I don't care how many kids you have, they're free. Right. As long as they're under the age of 16, because that's where it starts for them to actually see what's going on. Uh, if, if you, if I can get those kids to understand that it's just not, the honey business, there's pollination contracts, there's yeah. packaged bees cells, there's products that are made from all these other people, honey, honey nut Cheerios, shampoos, uh, makeup. There, the, there's such a vast variety of stuff out there that Mead. I don't think, <laughs> well, I'm not teaching a 16 year old how to make I bees. know, I'm just teasing. He'll, 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 he'll never go back to school. <laughs> This is so much easier than me going to the bar and trying to hustle some guy to buy me booze. <laughs> this is, yeah, it's a it's a whole different concept. Uh, I think, like I said, the 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 part in the Philippines changed my life about how kids are. That those kids did all that stuff and would pick up those hot coins because they did that to sur survive, and they didn't have a choice to even be here. The other thing is, I went to Texas in two thousand seven, and. Uh, a gentleman called me. He says, man, you know, I've been doing a lot of research. And he says, you do a lot of education. He says, you've written some programs for the University of Wyoming on uh, the Bee College. He says, can you come down to Texas as an expert witness? And I said, sure. What do you got? And he says, well, I had uh, four young teenage boys that were out drinking. And they decided it would be funny to kick over my beehives. And I caught them. And now they want to know what it's worth. And I'm telling them. You know, my time. Uh, he says, what's a beehive worth? And I said, two grand. Yeah. 
says, you can't tell him that. I said, yeah, it is. I said, you know, it's going to take you two years to propagate that beehive, your time, your energy. I said, you pay yourself even $12 an hour for eight hours. You're working a 40 hour week. I mean, if you're doing this to pollinate pecans and stuff like you're telling me, I said, two grand. He says, well, you need to come down. So I sat there, I told the judge, you know, what it takes to do beekeeping, what the boxes cost getting the bees to raise the bees to feed the bees to move the bees we went through the whole thing and the judge says what are these bees worth and i said well the bees to this gentleman's is livelihood to me it's worth two weekends or i mean uh, two full days this next weekend with these four boys the judge goes what do you mean i said i'm going to donate the beehives and all the equipment my company will supply all that stuff for these young men and these gentlemen are going to put the boxes together they're going to build the boxes themselves they're going to build the frames they're going to heat up wire and uh, melt the wax onto the frames we're going to have packaged bees shipped in we're going to put the bees in the box they're going to learn how to feed them and they're going to learn what they're looking for in inspection and i'm going to bring two other beehives down that already have working bees and we're going to work them and these boys are going to work with me a whole over two days on this weekend they're going to learn what this guy has to do to keep bees. And the one boy's uh, dad, they were pretty wealthy. He says, well, just pay the money. And the judge goes, no, I think this is a good, good thing for these boys to see what actually has to be done. So I was down in Tyler, Texas for a while and uh, rebuilding some beehives. And one of the boys had really long hair over his face. His nails were all painted. I guess he played in a high school band with some friends. And uh, we put the boxes together. And I walked up and I said, man, I said, this is an excellent, man, you dovetail. And he goes, yeah, I like wood. Wood's pretty cool. I want to build my own guitars one day. That's that's cool, man. I said, this is a really badass trade. I said, these dovetails are matching up tight. I said, wood glue. I said, we won't even need to tack them. I said, these are really good. So when it was all said and done, his dad walked up to me later and it happened to be the guy that had all the money. And he goes, uh, I want to let you know. He says, my son came back and all he talked about all day was building those beehives out of wood. That you guys were using wooden mallets. And he said he knew which mallets were for what. and He knew how to use the cold chisels for what they were supposed to be using and how to plane the wood so it was level so all the boxes sit flat and he says he, he didn't know that that you had to plane the boxes he says you get brand new boxes you plane them so they all fit and they all match he says i didn't know any of this stuff i go yeah i said man he's a phenomenal woodworker and he goes well let me introduce you to him because he has a couple questions for you he goes well my name's jeremiah and he says man this is really cool he said that you said that this could make a job I said, yeah, man. I said, who do you think builds these boxes? Well, I don't know. And I said, have you ever tried looking up maybe working for Man Lake or Dannett Brothers Corporation or sitting down and maybe with the local bee shop down here and you just start making your own boxes and your own own design and selling them? Really? And I said, yeah, I can give you a letter of recommendation for Dannett and you can go and you can help print out boxes and stuff for them to make them. And he goes, that would be really cool. The young man went from kicking over beehives to wanting to work to manufacture them in a skilled trade using his own hands. 
you don't have to be the best at what you do. And you don't always have to be the best person. But it only takes one act of kindness to make you that person. Yeah. That, like I said, that story of the kid in Texas. Uh, like I said, I, I love I love going to the high schools and, and watching the kids' faces when you have the bees in the box. I love watching the little kids in kindergarten when you hand out the honey sticks with the bees in the box. I love going to a conference. And you sit down and the guy says, well, how do you do this? And you say, well, let me show you. And you sit down and you, and you draw it out. You take the time and draw it out. And the guy goes, well, weren't you getting ready to go talk? And you go, don't worry, I can talk for hours. <laughs> I'll be able to talk to some, everybody else. I said, your time right now is very valuable to me. I have learned that the one thing that I have lots of is time. I, I I don't sleep very much. I take phone calls all the time, evidently. Uh, people hit me up on Messenger. I get emails. I get letters. Uh, man, there's a cool guy named Tricky Wolf that's uh, on Facebook, and uh, he's uh, one of Jack's listeners. Man, he made me a patch that says I make kick-ass mead. I meet awesome people all the time because I am not – an asshole. I'm not saying I'm a great guy or anything. I was not a great guy. I always want to inspire to be the best guy. But if if you if you spend one time if a guy called him say Drew, what's it take to start a podcast? Uh, what kind of microphones do I need? And you said, oh man, I said you know this is the microphone that I use. Man, if I could afford it, this is the mic I would get. This is the type of program I use, right? Yeah. It only took a little bit of your time. Yeah, but I'd be more than happy to help people for sure. I mean, that's that's not. Uh, I I like people messaging me that that really want. If if I feel like I have some information that can help them, I'll spend as much time as possible. Especially if I if I know that they'll actually take what I'm saying, you know, and and, and apply it for themselves. Oh, you. If if you just take that time. I don't think people realize what it means to them. I mean, uh, I didn't really realize what my time meant to some people when they, when they, when they're calling to talk. The one guy's man, I can't believe you took time out to to talk to me. Just some cat, man. I'm just some cat. All right? I just, I just happened to fall into where, man, I really did getting stung. I dig it a lot. I like it. I've, I've had over 125 stings in one shot. Uh, um, I don't swell up. Uh, I don't have any reactions to it. I'm one of the few guys that's willing to go out and look at somebody's beehive. If you're here right next to me, but then, you know, my city or something, man, I, I don't know what I'm looking at. Well, let's go look. Yeah. Really? Yeah, shit, yeah, man. Let's go look. Well, you're you're eating lunch. Man, I'm a fat bastard the way it is. It's not going to really affect <laughs> me to miss a meal, dude. We can go and look. It's not going to, if it's going to take a little bit of time for you to go check it out, well, let's go check it out. I'm in. I, I want to do it all the time. Uh, And I didn't realize, man, I can't believe that you would take, I'm just some cat, man. 
And I think that when you like, you know, have you ever have you ever talked to Matt Powers? Oh yeah, I had him on the podcast. He's a great dude. Dude, man, right down to earth, logical, right? He puts out some phenomenal stuff. He messaged me one time. I got this uh, beehive from this cat. He says, "What do you know? I, I want to, man. What do you want to know?" He says, oh, "You're going to take time, man. You're Matt Powers." Why wouldn't I take time to talk to you? I mean, it was like when I met Jack. You're Jack F and Spirico. I'm so glad that I got to talk to you. He's just, you know, he'll he'll tell him just some cat. He's just a normal there. guy. Yeah. I'm just a I'm just a normal guy that gets stung, man. I just have a plethora of useless knowledge when it comes to keeping bees. I mean, I can make a wood gasification unit. <laughs> I learned some stuff about fuel, but I'm not driven. Like I am about bees, man. I did a bee removal today. A guy came all the way from a whole nother town. He says, I want to learn how to do some of this stuff. I said, well, let's suit up. Let's start cutting holes in the wall and we'll, we'll start getting this done. And he goes, really? And I said, yeah. I said, there's only one way to do it, man. Let's just get in there and get, get going. Well, I even brought my stuff. I'm, that's super cool, man. I thought maybe we would just talk and stuff. Oh, man, we're going to do it. We'll work together, hand in hand, right? We'll work We'll work together. Yeah, as uh, Greg Burns says, there's nothing to it but to do it. Nothing to it but to do it, yeah. I, like I said, man, I tell you, those cats, those guys inspire me a lot. When I was watching Rob do his high tunnel, and with Steve, man, did you see what he did downtown? Yeah, he's got that park, man. We uh we went there and we shot a little video and uh Rob Rob and I came up and uh our friend Dustin Thompson brought a Boy Scout crew and uh we went and we planted some elderberries and uh goji berry bushes and uh it was a it was a really cool time, man. Man, Boy Scouts, see? Working with the kids, right? Getting them outside away from the damn television, that stupidity box that Tells them about all the hate and stuff and how they owe money and they have to give gratitude to somebody else. And took those kids out, planted trees to feed yeah. people. Dude, that's phenomenal, man. Yeah, I've seen some of his work, man, about the park. And those dudes do some phenomenal work. I'm always kind of inspired by how they and they're working dudes. They work. Yeah, I love guys that work, man. And don't get me wrong, there's women that work too. I shouldn't say guys. Like I said, I've met some some phenomenal women that do great, great work. Like I said, uh, there's beekeepers out there that are probably way better than I am that do fabulous stuff that work their whole lives working with bees. I'm, I'm just a cat that got lucky uh, that that learned some different techniques and stuff. That I mean, anybody can be phenomenal if they apply themselves, they don't even know it. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Well, um, I'll tell you what, brother, we've been going for like an hour and a half, and uh, I keep talking to you all night, but I'm sure you got stuff to do. I got some stuff to do here. Um, I think we should close up, man, really promote this event. Um, people go to www.fundraiser, spelled like the crappy cell phone from Motorola, razr.com forward slash regenerative agriculture. You guys can actually 
put this show on. It's all done through crowdfunding. I was the first person to buy a ticket. I will be there. Um, looking forward to taking some Michael Jordan classes, especially after this conversation, man. <laughs> um, there's, it, it's going to be a great time, man. Lots of fellowshipping, man. I think the coolest thing about these events are the people you meet and the stories that are told and the connections that are made. So, and there, there's going to be some phenomenal cats there. Uh, Brad Davies is going to be there talking about Quell, and I guess he's even going to throw in some extra stuff if you want to learn how to do some design stuff. Um, Jack Spirico is going to be there. Curtis Stone, Justin Rhodes, Mike Vertries, Nicholas Bertner. They got some surprise people coming. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and throw one out. His name's Robert Twyford. He's a mountain man up here in Wyoming. And he teaches gold panning like I, I, I can't believe it. He, I've, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, Nick Ferguson met him the one time and found gold with him. Uh, the video for the regenerative agriculture that you'll see on the fundraiser thing. Yeah, it's going to be in the uh, show notes of this podcast, too, on the website. And I, I thought it was super cool how Curtis Stone sat there and he goes, the community that's involved in the man, this is totally what it's about. It's about a group of people that were found on Facebook all talking about community awareness and building stuff with their own hands. And this is the first regenerative agriculture conference ever, anywhere that's ever been done. Uh, it's going to be the first one where I've ever seen where groups of people will come and not only to learn, but learn on hands-on skills, getting their hand. You're going to, if you work with me, we're going to actually make queen cups with wax. I'm going to, I'm going to show you how you're going to do it so you can go home and you can make your own queen cuts so you can start propagating your own bees. So, I mean, this is going to be one of those that you're not only going to sit down and listen to a guy lecture about it. You're going to have to participate in this venture. And I'm really excited that that's up here in my neck of woods. Nothing ever happens up here in the Rocky Mountain region, man, that we always have to travel somewhere else to go get this great information. And have people like Jack Spirico and, Nicholas Burtner come? I mean, damn. That's some that's some people that have actually hand on that have done stuff around the world doing the stuff that they do. And that's super fabulous, bro. That's awesome. And then uh so how can people follow your work, Michael? Um and uh and get in touch if, with you if they want to contract your work or or fly you out to to do uh just a, an education course or anything like that. Uh, the best and the largest multimedia device right now is Facebook. And you can always find AB Friendly Company, and it's A-B-E-E, -E, Friendly Company, all one word. And you can email me that, abfriendlycompany at gmail.com, or we have our, our website, abfriendlycompany.com. And if you ever put Michael Jordan in Bees, Wyoming, there's going to be all kinds of stuff that come up on the Google mapping. I, I didn't really realize I, I had two phone calls today, actually, about a guy saying, hey, man, he says, how far do you travel to remove bees? Well, I don't know where you at. And he says, oh, I'm all the way down to Colorado Springs. Well, that's like a five-hour drive to get down there to remove bees, bro. And he, goes, he says, man, your name popped right up. Awesome. I thought maybe you'd come down and maybe we'd shoot some hoops. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not hard to find. I hope I'm easy for people to talk to. Like I said, I I want to just 
I just want people to be helping their fellow man. And if, if you need help, if you have a question about even how, what's the best way to light your smoker to man, how do I get my wife to want me to keep bees? What's the best mead that you've ever drank? If you just want to sit down and talk, man, I love, I, I, I loved it. Cause like I said, for a long time in my life, I isolated myself out because I thought, I thought the things I did made me a bad person. So I became that bad person. And now that I am, I think that I can inspire people. I do stuff. I try to do all I can help your fellow man. The youngest ones need your help the most because that's how we mentor them to be the best people we can be. That's awesome, man. It was a great way to close the podcast. Everybody, um, Help support this event, make it happen, hang out with me and Michael at this event, and we look forward to seeing you guys there. 